We're going to start a very difficult series today. Happy Mother's Day. Um, as we start our new series today, I want you to hear one of the most anxiety-filled phrases, sentences, what have you. It's already up there in the human English language that I can think of. One of them. Not the most, but one of them. We need to talk. Have you ever heard that from like your spouse or a family member? Maybe your mom? We need to talk. <laughs> right? A lot of it is based on the delivery, how we deliver those words. But even no matter how gently we seem to deliver those words, it always comes across as, ooh, what, what do we got to talk about? Why do we have to talk? What, what's, what's wrong? It's because it carries so much weight. Because we know what it means. Things are about to get really deep. The conversation might not be exactly pleasant to hear. This conversation that we're about to have might be difficult. So church, we need to talk. Now why do we need to talk? Well, because the world that we live in is spending billions upon billions of dollars to teach and to instill in the next generation a bunch of lies about their identity, sexuality, and they're twisting the truth of Scripture and making it out to be a lie. And if the church ignores it, covers it under a rug, tells people to pray it out of existence, then we're going to lose an entire generation of people to the lies that the world is trying to teach them. So yes, we do need to talk about some very hard things because the world has no problem telling them about all these hard things. Now, what exactly are we going to talk about? Well, that's actually where you come in. So uh, when I was planning this series about six months ago, I tried to pray. I, I prayed as much as I could that we wouldn't have to go through this. Obviously, God wasn't very receptive to that prayer, and he said no. Um, so we are going to go through it, but I had several topics that I was going to go through and talk about. Um, and there's still a few that I have in place. The two very big pressing issues that I believe are affecting the majority of the next generation. But then there's other ones that I had in there that I, as I started approaching this series, I had a pastor friend of mine that I listened to most of his messages because he's one that really pours into me that's outside of my family, outside of the state and everything. And um, he did a similar type of series. But what he did was he asked his congregation what they wanted to know, what they wanted to know about the Bible, what they wanted to know about their views on culture and what the world was telling them and what a biblical perspective of everything that they were going through. And as I was approaching this, he did this several weeks ago, and I was like, you know what? The things that I had planned probably aren't going to be things that they're concerned about. Like, yes, they're big worldly issues that we do face, but... In my mind, I'm like, maybe they, maybe they do, but maybe my congregation doesn't actually need that. So we are going to talk about a few topics. The next few weeks, I mean, today's Mother's Day, so don't get too bent out of shape about it. But next few weeks, we're going to talk about homosexuality, sexuality, and gender identity. Those are the next two weeks. Now, after those two weeks, we're going to be talking about what you ask me. And if you came in here, most of you, um, I did give some of these out on Wednesday night. So if you're here on Wednesday night, then don't take another one unless you have just a bunch more questions to ask. But there's these papers that were in your seat. 
says, do you have a question that you wanted to ask? Never got the chance to ask it. On the back, there's some lines. Uh, there should be a pin somewhere around you. What I would ask that you do is that this week and next week, to give me a week to prepare, this week and next week, ask me those questions. Maybe it's questions that your kids have asked you and you're like, I really don't know the answer, so I'm just going to give them this small little packaged answer just to please them for this moment. But then you're really like, I don't know what the answer to that is. Or maybe it's something that you're dealing with, that a family member's dealing with, and you really don't know how to handle the situation. Or maybe it's a passage that you've been reading and you've been reading it all the time, you've read it all your life, and you're like, I really don't know what this means. Then I want you to ask those questions, put them in any of the offering plates, put them in the wooden plates as you leave, leave them in your seat, don't put them under because I'll miss them, but leave them in your seats. And you can choose to keep it anonymous, you can choose to put your name on it, that's completely up to you. But the next four to five weeks after we talk about uh, sexuality and gender identity, all of those are going to be like rapid fire question and answer sessions where I'm preparing. Now, no questions are off limits, but since I am considering it, it doesn't mean that I necessarily have to answer it. Now, just because I don't want to answer it doesn't mean that I'm not going to. When I say that I might not answer it, I might not have time to answer it. There are some things, some very deep theological things, some very deep cultural issues that take more than 10 minutes to answer, that take more than 30 minutes to answer. So those questions will be considered maybe for other sermon series or for Wednesday night Bible studies where it'll be announced that we're talking about this thing. Okay, so just to, to clear that out, this week, next week, fill this out. Now, this is not a, I'm a pastor, so I think that I can just give you a bunch of advice. It's not about that. In fact, I want to keep my opinion out of it as much as I can. Now, if you want my opinion, I'll give it to you. But honestly, it's not going to matter to you. My opinion shouldn't matter. What should matter is what the truth of God's word says. So really what we're going to Try, what I'm going to try to do, this is the hard part of what I'm doing in the series, is I'm going to do a bunch of study, and where the Bible is clear on things, I'm going to be very clear. You don't have to agree with it, but I'm going to give you what the Bible says. Where the Bible is unclear on things, I'm going to give you passages to consider, to look through, to, to read, and to study on your own. And then I'm going to trust and pray that the Holy Spirit's going to come in and help you work through those for yourself. So, how does this look for today? Well, we need to talk about building a legacy as a mom. I'm not a mom, clearly. I don't want to be a mom. I want to be a father, okay? So, we're good on that. No one thought that was funny. That kind of disappointed me. Um, clearly, I'm not a woman. <laughs> okay. But I want to do my best to, to honor the women in here and to, to help encourage you to continue to build the legacy that you are. Part of building a legacy, I believe, is grounding the next generation, your kids and your grandkids, into biblical truth and grounding them in a faith in God so that they can filter through the lies themselves. It's setting them up for success and that when the world is telling them lies, they can say, nope, that's a lie. 
That's a lie from the powers and principalities of hell. But I know what the truth of God's word says. This is the legacy that we're looking at. And in Joshua chapter four, there's this clear picture in my mind, at least, of a legacy being built for the people of Israel as they're walking into the promised land and starting their journey through all of the battles that they would face in the book of Joshua. And it reads this. I'm gonna start in verse 19. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that they had taken out of the Jordan. So just to give you a little bit of context, as they're crossing the Jordan River, what happens miraculously is very similar to the Red Sea. God parts the waters or holds the waters back so that they can walk into the promised land on dry ground. And as they're walking, they pick up 12 stones and they go and they place these 12 stones. So there's a little bit of context. So back to verse 21, he said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground for the Lord your God dried up Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might also fear the Lord your God. If you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for this time. And Lord, I just pray that you speak to the hearts of all of us in here. And Lord, speak through me as you always do. Lord, we are so thankful for all of our mothers. And Lord, just take this moment as we give them some honor and praise for what they're doing, but encourage them to continue to go and be the great moms that they are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as most of you know, uh, Chloe and I were expecting, she's not here because she's sick, but if she was here, you could tell. Um, we are expecting a child, and for uh, in the next few months, what I'm told, and I believe it, what I'm told is that my world is about to be thrown completely upside down, turned sideways, done a, a 360 several times, it's just going to go to complete and utter chaos in the Hensley household for just a you know, few months until we don't figure it out. And our world is about to go through a major life change. And what that means for us, Chloe and I being uh, planners in our mind, in our temperament, in our, in our personality, but also just growing up and being in sports for the majority of our lives up to this point, we, we want to come in with a plan. So we've already started having conversations as husband and wife uh, coming together, future mother and father, of how we plan to parent our kids. Now, I didn't know how many different ideals and ideologies there is about parenting kids, but there's a lot. So um, we're like filtering through that. We have several people that are pouring into us, but the reality is, is that we really just want to be the best parents that we can be. So we're doing some research, and honestly, we know that it might be thrown out the window. So when I'm talking about strategies to parenting, it makes me think of the soccer games that happened yesterday. And what happened yesterday was I, my team lost in the second game to Chloe Pleskash and Adelie Tapp. 
And I told them, I warned them right before the game, that if you beat my team, I will use you in sermon illustrations from here on out. So consider this the first one. I don't think they're here. They got scared. Chloe's over there. So I came in to both of those soccer games as the coach with some type of strategy. Now, if you have ever gone to Baker Park and watched the soccer played there, no offense, Chloe, but it's organized chaos. It, you know, it's really up to the kids to decide if they're going to subscribe to the coach's strategy and what they've taught them or not. Or, so we go in. I have a strategy, and I can't do much as a coach in soccer except for be strategic on what I'm telling the kids to do, what I'm instructing them to do on the field, from the sidelines, and who I'm subbing in and out, what positions I'm having which players play. So there's a lot of strategy that I've come up with on how to make my team successful. It worked great in the first game. The second game, going into it, I see Chloe and Adley, they come up, and they're, they're there a little bit early, probably like almost an hour early. And they come up, I walk over to them, and I start kicking the ball around them. Strategy number one, tire them out before they even start playing the game. That strategy, I know, that strategy failed because I got tired before they did. So then I stopped, and they kept going. So then my second strategy was, well, I'm just going to get into their heads. So I tell them, you know, the sermon, or the sermon illustration thing, I tell them, you know, are you ready to lose? Just in their mind, already like, okay, you know, if, if we lose, if we lose, because if you can doubt, then... Now, it's not necessarily that I didn't believe that my team could win, because I did. They played great the first game, but that strategy failed. <laughs> because the last strategy that I had was to pick the ones to do penalty kicks when it went into a tied game. And I did not pick super well. <laughs> so there's a few that missed, and that led to us losing. So when it comes to strategies... Sometimes they fail. Now, I know this is going to happen as a parent, and I know that in your parenting experience, it's probably happened too. You came in with something, and you're like, oh, I learned this from a book. I learned this from the, from the next best blog that I read. And I'm going to come in, I'm going to parent my kids really well, and then they just throw it in the trash. But I know that all of us, like, I can't really include myself yet, but as parents, you mean well. You want to be the best parents that you can be. And it would be my guess that the moms in here, and your moms as well, likely feel the same way. They want to be the best mom that they could be. Now, I don't know all of your stories. Some of you might have had terrible moms who abused or abandoned you or rejected you. So Mother's Day isn't enjoyable for you. It brings back those memories. And if that's true for you, I just want to take just a moment to encourage you as a man or a woman who had that type of mom. If you're a woman, I would challenge you and encourage you to be the godly mom that your mom wasn't. To, to be a godly mom. Don't subscribe to the motherly attitudes that your bad mom had. Be the one that's going to change that and be a good mom. And if you're a man... I have two different categories for you. If you're a single man, this is great because you need to seek a godly woman who is going to be a godly wife 
and a godly mother. And if you're already married, we'll talk about it more on Father's Day, your responsibility as a dad, as a father, as a husband, is to cultivate a culture in your, and an environment in your home that equips, encourages, and empowers your wife to fulfill her God-given purpose as a woman and as a mother. And also be filled with compassion for her because being a mom is harder than it looks. Oh, come on. I could have at least got one amen. Is it easy being a mom? Of course it's not. But being a mom is a reflection of who God is. It's a reflection of God. How do I know? Well, in Genesis chapter 2, where it all started, God created man and woman in his image and likeness, which means that both man and woman bear the image of God. And if we bear the image of God, then we also reflect the image of God. But when sin entered the world in chapter 3 of, or of Genesis, sin distorted that image. And when it distorted that image, Christ came, restored the image, but we still struggle with our identity. We still struggle with how we view ourselves. Because we don't always see ourselves as a child of God. Sometimes we see ourselves as broken. Sometimes we see ourselves through the lens of the sin that had broke us, that separated us from God. Now, in preparing for this message, I'll be honest with you, and I'm not always this honest from the stage, I had about 50 different sermons that I could preach today. And this week, I had to figure out which one I was going to preach. I, I don't know how many hours it actually was. It's more than what I normally do in a week as far as preparing for sermons. But I listened to so many different sermons. I read so many articles. I read so many different chapters out of books, trying to figure out what was sticking out to me. And what stuck out to me, I, I really believe, was this, is that for mothers and for women too, there's two main common struggles. Now, they, they affect men too. It's not that they don't affect men. It's just they, they more typically affect women. And I, I did go through Chloe on this, and she backed me up. So it's not just me saying this as a man from stage. It's also my wife was like, yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate. For, for mothers and for women, the widely struggle with their identity comes from comparison and perfectionism. And social media doesn't make it any better. Now, the problem is, and it's not necessarily a problem, but as, as men and as kids, we don't see it because our moms don't show it. They don't show that they're struggling with these things. It's widely internal, that they're struggling with the comparison of other moms, comparison of other women, of other families, and how other moms are managing their families and parenting their kids and, and looking at them and saying, maybe I should be doing something better or I should be some, doing something more. One of my pastor friends that I talked to this past week called it the Instagram mom movement. It's where you have to have professional grade pictures every year to show that you're managing your household well. Or else you're not a good enough mom. Or that your kids have to be involved in X, Y, and Z to set them up for college. Or you're not a good enough mom. Or maybe it has to do with school. 
right? If you don't send your kids to public school so that they can be the salt and light of the earth, then you're not a good enough mom. And then the other side is, well, if you don't disciple your kids instead of allowing the school system to disciple your kids, then you're not a good enough mom. And it all just, it's a lot to juggle and it's constantly comparing how you mother your kids and how other moms parent their kids and manage their households. And honestly, I didn't realize how critical people were of, how, of parents and how they parent their kids. For instance, here's something that, that my mom actually dealt with and she's shared this struggle with me. What you allow your kids to believe during the holidays or if they lose a tooth, you have one side that says you shouldn't lie to your kids and the other side says you should have them believe because if you don't, then you're robbing them of entire childhood and of imagination. Now, I can say that's, that's both of those are lies. Like you, you don't have to lie to your kids. You can speak truth to them. And you can have an imagination without believing in things that the world wants you to believe in. I am a full witness of that because I still remember our neighbor had this tree that he convinced me opened up to a new realm, and I still to this day saw that tree open. Now, I know that doesn't make sense to any of you, but I had that type of imagination. I saw that sucker open right up, and I screamed, Jessica, as my witness from the other side of the room heard me scream, it's open! She looked at my neighbor and was like, what? He's like, I have no idea. I made it up, right? There's also people who are, are very critical on how strict and overprotective or how lenient and underprotective you are. There's so many things to juggle and you leave so many moms and especially the younger moms feeling not good enough. Amen. And they feel like they're not a good enough mom to their kids. They leave you feeling guilty for not doing more for your kids when even though you know good and well, there's nothing more that you could actually do for your kids. You sacrificed everything that you could and it's still not good enough for you. And this comparison leads to the reality that you're not a perfect mom. And for some reason, our culture says, if you're not a perfect mom, then you're not a good mom. If you're not viewed as a perfect mom, you're not good. Listen, you're not perfect. You probably snapped at your kids when you shouldn't have. You probably realized the mistakes that you made as a mom, whether they're still in the household or outside of the household. And they're telling you how you should have parented them. You realize that you make mistakes. And if you leave your expectations too high, you can feel like this perfect mom image that you've created is not good enough. So since you can't fulfill this perfect mom image that you have, you're not good. You're not good enough. There's always more that you can give. Now, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm not a mom. I, I'm not a parent, but I know what it is to be a human. And I know that there's always seems to be that one person in our life that just seems to have everything together all the time. It, it just always seems, and maybe it's just me, right? Maybe none of you have this, but there just always seems to be that one person that never struggles with anything, always has his or her life together, you know, is juggling so many different jobs, still has time 
to go on vacations, to do all these things with their kids, still has all of these things, and it just seems like they never struggle, they never cry, they, they never get emotional because everything's happy and it's good, and it, that's not true. Because honestly, there's someone looking at how you parent your kids. How, you know, they're looking at you as a mom, and they're like, I can never live up to that. Now, you don't feel that way. You're, you see your brokenness. You see where you fall short. So you fixate on that and you see what other people show, but then other moms are looking at you and they're like, man, I wish I had my life together like they do. And in response, if you ever heard them say that, you would laugh, wouldn't you? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but it's this comparison. And when... This comparison leads to imperfection. You feel just not good enough. But I want to tell you, you can be a great mom without being the perfect one that you've created for yourself. Now, I don't know who needs to hear this. Maybe everyone in here, maybe it's just for someone online today or years from now. But I, I really believe that someone needs to hear this. So, so look and listen real quick. You don't need to compare yourself because God created you with a purpose and a plan that's for you. Not them, for you. When, when scripture says that he or ordained every day of our life, he looked at our life and he said, here's my plan for you. Now, did we mess up the plan? Probably. But he still has that plan for us and, it, and it's for you. Not the people you're comparing yourself to. He created you to be you. So mothers, God created you with the gift of children. You don't have to think of them as a gift, but they're a gift. Whether they're biological or adopted so that you would parent them. Not the person down the street, not the family down the road, so that you could parent them. And there's no one on the face of this planet that can parent your kids like you parent your kids. That mom or that family down the road, they can't parent your kids. They would, they would drive them insane. They wouldn't know what to do. They would look at you. If you start parenting their kid or your kids, if they start parenting your kids, they look at you and say, how do you do this? Because I'm a mom. Because you were created with an extra purpose to parent your kids, not someone else's kids, your kids. So you also don't need to strive for perfection because Christ has already made you righteous before God. Don't fall into the trap or the lie that you have to strive for something that only Christ was made to achieve. You are not perfect, but by the grace of God, Christ is perfect and those who call on his name, he dwells within you. And since he dwells within you, Proverbs 31 says this about you mothers. He clothed you in strength and dignity. In your brokenness, in your weakness as, as a mother, when you came to know Christ and Christ started dwelling within you, you see your weakness, but what Christ sees is strength and dignity. You are worth far more than rubies. Your children arise and they call you blessed. 
He continues to say, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So moms, you should be honored for all that you've done. You've given generously and sacrificially. You've worked tirelessly. You've had sleepless nights. You've dedicated countless hours, all for the sake of giving your kids the best life and being the mom and the woman of God you've been called to be. But also to leave a legacy that will impact the generations to follow. I love how Paul writes this in Timothy, or writes this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve as all my ancestors did with a clear conscience as day, as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that, you, that I may be filled with joy. Verse 5, I love this. I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. As some of you know, this church runs very deep in my family line on my mom's side. And on June 1st, 2020, almost three years ago, you welcomed me with open arms as a very, very, very young pastor. And maybe some of you thought that since I was so young, I would attract some younger generation. But I'm more convinced that you trusted me because you saw the faith of my grandmother, my grandmama, sorry, Carol. And you saw the faith that lived inside of my own mom, Julie. And you were convinced, man, if Carol and Julie have that type of faith living inside them, then surely Logan has that same faith living inside of him. So mothers, build a legacy that pleases God so that your kids will see your faith. They will see your devotion. They will trust and have a fear of God that they might too have that same faith live inside of them. Place the stones dedicated to God so that when their children ask, what do these stones mean? What do these traditions mean? What does this Bible study, this prayer, this going faithfully to church, what does it all mean? They will tell them, well, my mom did these things as an evidence of her faith, of an evidence of her fear of the Lord so that you might also come to fear God, come to fear and to to have faith and trust in him. I want to close with one last thing, and I know I'm going a little bit longer than normal, but I'm I'm feeling I have this written in my notes as a a maybe. I'm going to close with it anyways. Because moms, I want to instill in you how you really reflect God in your life maybe without even realizing it. And I hope this comes across in that way. I was reading a book. I I read a book with a small group of pastors every week. Chloe calls it my book club. I call it accountability. But we're going through this book, and in one of the chapters, it talks about parenting and mentions a few stages of a child's early life as they're building a foundation for who they will become. Now, it focused more on the mother's perspective. It included fathers in the beginning, but it focuses on the mother's perspective. And this is why I was drawn to this. In the bonding stage, 
is the first few months of a child's life after they're born. The baby's very attached to the mom because he or she is bonding with their mother and father, but mostly mother. During this stage, there's what they call a symbiotic union that causes babies to panic when mom isn't around. And it's as if no one can comfort that baby except for that mom. In the book, they describe it as mommy and me are the same. It's this very close union between a mother and her child. The next two stages are separation and individualization and then hatching. These two, though they're very different to, for the sake of time, I want to explain what happens. These two stages they're still very reliant on their mom, but they develop their own identity outside of mom and begin to explore. This is when the child starts to, to wiggle a little bit more in the arms of the mom because he or she wants to explore. They're still dependent, but not with the same closeness. As one mom in the book mentioned, it was as if her and her son had four months together in close union and the remaining 17 and a half years was watching him leave her every single day. Which leads me to the, the next stage, is the practicing stage. This is a direct quote from the book. The difference between hatching and practicing is radical. Where the hatching baby is overwhelmed by this new world and still leans a great deal on the mother, the practicing child is trying to leave her behind. The newfound ability to walk opens up a sense of omnipotence. Toddlers feel exhilaration and energy. They want to try everything, including walking down steep stairs, putting forks into electrical sockets, and chasing cat's tails. And as I kept reading, it talked about this thing I'd never even thought about. But it talks about how most mothers report watching their baby's first steps from behind. And then it hit me. It's instilling this image that our first steps, oftentimes for mothers, is away from our mom. And that's exactly what we do with God in our walk. Our first steps as broken humans are often away from the God who created us. They're away from the one who knit us together in our mother's womb. And we explore what the world offers. And it's not a bad thing to explore, but we often fill our fleshly desires. We try everything out, even the things that will harm us and kill us. We fall into temptations and walk away from God in our sinfulness. But God, who is full of mercy and grace, sent his son Jesus Christ to live and die and rise again so that we would have a way back to God. And even though our first steps are often away from our mother, she doesn't resent you for it. She loves you for it. She welcomes you with comforting and open arms, just like a good mother waits for her child to return. God waits for you to return to him. The last stage of the book is called reproachment, which is the most difficult phase in early childhood. You can think of this phase as the no phase, where your child gets really obsessed with saying no all the time. Simply put, this is when the child actually comes to his or her senses and realizes that they still need their mom. They still want their mom. It's a messy and hard stage, but it's necessary in developing who they are. 
Now, what we hope to accomplish as a church is to help them realize their need for a savior in this broken world that we live in and help them walk through this transformation. And if, if that's you today, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here, you're like, man, my life is broken. I've been walking away from God for a very, very long time and it's not been going so great. I would invite you to take, to turn around and start walking back to God just like you walk back to your mom after dad turns him around and pushes them back. To, maybe it's the first time in a long time that you realize that you really are in need of a savior. I want to invite you to, to come back to God, to come to this altar, to come to this front row, to go to someone else to pray for you. I'll be up here, I'll pray for you. But moms, I want to tell you one more thing. These stones that we talked about at the very beginning, they were stones to remember what God had did, how God had parted the Red Sea and provided a way for the Israelites to walk through, to, to escape the slavery of Egypt, and how he would stop the flow of the river so that the Israelites could walk into the promised land, walk into righteousness on dry ground. He provided a way. Moms, part of your purpose is providing that way out of darkness for your child and into righteousness. And believe me, I know, not fully, but I know that some of you, if you have a kid who is not walking the path of righteousness, you feel it very deeply in your soul that it's your fault. It's not. God provided the way the Israelites chose whether they were going to walk or not. As long as you provide a way as parents, as moms, it's not your responsibility to make sure and force them into walking. They will be held accountable for their choices, but you will be held accountable if you don't provide that way. So I encourage you as moms, you are a reflection of the goodness and the grace of God. You don't have to do what you do because God didn't have to do what he did. But you do it because you love your kids and you love your family that much.